listening to the Lance J Radio Network. So one of my favorite topics on, on healthcare panorama, and when I when I grew up as a risk adjustment and quality professional, really got into value-based care. I think that, that value-based care, the way that the contracts are written with the provider groups, if you're gonna be successful, you, you have to have good relationships with your providers. Uh, value-based care, particularly on the West Coast where, where many, where, where I'm from, many of the of the contracts are on a capitated or full risk arrangement. So it's important at this conference at Rise is where we're kind of closing down the, the conference this morning. Wanted to have uh, a couple of interviews in to discuss value-based care and and consultants and individuals that are deep into that space. So we have um, Lynn Carroll, who is the COO of HS Blocks. And I know that you guys are very focused on, on value-based care uh, amongst another uh, a bunch of other things. And um, happy to have you on the show and, and appreciate appreciate you guys coming and spending some time with us. Yeah, it's great to be here, James. Um, so tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about your company. I know that you guys are consultants. Uh, I'm a consultant, um, so I understand that space. Uh, tell us a little bit about your company. Tell us a little bit about your personal background in, in this arena. How, how did you get to where you are right now? Sure. So HS Blocks is a technology vendor. We're based out of Atlanta. Yep. Uh, we started the company back in 2017 with a sole purpose of focusing on expanding value-based care. Yeah. Um, particularly, we're interested in uh, modeling of contracts between payers and providers and incorporation of uh, downstream constituents who also impact those risk arrangements. Okay. So folding other you know, participants into the primary contract uh, entities. Okay. What do you, so are you, when you say that, are you more on the strategic side or are you actually kind of brokering the contracts, meaning that what's the PMPM that, that it would cost to put put uh, programs in place to, to lower diabetic A1C or to increase yeah. breast cancer screenings or increase adherence for medications for a statin or cholesterol drug or something like that? Yeah. Or are you actually like getting charts and, and, and doing analytics and doing retrieval and coding and those services as well? You're on the operational side? We're operational. Right. So we're, we're focused on the administration of the contracts, right. beginning with the attribution of what's the assigned population then looking at who uh, the participants should be in those either episodic or global reimbursement types of programs. Okay. And then from that standpoint, then modeling the financials and ultimately reporting on a couple things, financial performance right. as well as outcomes. Uh, so some of the pe uh, measurements that are related to the care guidelines and uh, improvement of patient health. Okay. So you're in Atlanta. Are you servicing mostly Georgia? Are you servicing the Southeast? Are you a national brand? What are what, what are the areas that you really serve and, and uh, some of, maybe some of the health plans if you could talk to that, that you work with or vendors that you work with? Yeah, so we, we've originally uh, launched sort of with a footprint in the Southeast. All right. Work with a few payers today. 
Um, we're targeting also uh, working directly with the provider side of the equation, who we refer to as risk-bearing entities. Right. Uh, they may be organized in a number of structures. You mentioned IPAs, certainly ACO uh, types of constructs, and also uh, other arrangements, some of the direct contracting arrangements, as well as uh, you know comprehensive primary care types of scenarios. Uh, where there may be multiple uh, constituents involved in ultimately the care continuum and working to ensure the outcome uh, under more fixed price types of mechanisms or risk mechanisms. Okay. Now, Lynn, why is it so important? So kind of explain because my audience, we have a lot of people that listen that are in kind of the uniqueness of my audience. We, we have a lot of people that listen to the podcast that are healthcare executives. So I, I like to think that the majority of the healthcare executives that are here at Rise are, are familiar with my podcast version and uh, get content and, and we get a lot of positive feedback. But we also are a terrestrial radio. So I mean, we're on where it's not a healthcare executive crowd. These are people that are actually consumers. So I think my goal is to, to be a, a, a B2B liaison, but also a B2C liaison. So speak to the, the end user. So if you're listening to this show and you're driving around in DC or Nashville or Orlando or Seattle or any of the markets that, that were on terrestrial radio in, why does value-based care matter to you as a member? How, if I'm on Medicare Advantage or even Medicaid, how does a value-based structure that's favorable for, uh, for, for cost containment or for the proliferation of better benefits, how does that help me as an end consumer if I'm a diabetic or I have sciatica or, or if I'm on end-stage renal or something like that? Yeah, I think it's always a great uh, question, James. And from a consumer perspective, I think, you know, to expect a consumer to necessarily understand all the concatenations of value-based programs and, and alternative payment models is probably just a bunch of gobbledygook, right? But when you think about um, patient outcomes and a focus on appropriate delivery of care, uh, at an individualized level to address chronic disease and yep. improve the health of an individual and understand that the financial drivers are for cost containment and outcomes rather than uh, billable events or trying to uh, do things on a volume basis. Okay. I think those are maybe things that, that folks can understand from a more lay person's view. Okay, makes a lot of sense. What do you, what do you think about what, what have you kind of taken away from this conference? I think the hot button topic is really audit. We've had people from OIG and, and CMS show up and really discuss the audit process. I mean, I've, I have a background in risk adjustment, star ratings, value-based contracting, quality, clinical ops, even supervised actuary for, for a brief stint in my career. How, how does everything from an audit standpoint, how does that impact your consultancy and how does that impact value-based care because value-based care, if, if I'm working with a provider group and we're trying to, to lower diabetic A1C, like I said, or increase outcomes for diabetes to make sure that people have better quality of life and less ER visits, whether it's diabetes, asthma, COPD, medication adherence, any of those things, well, if I don't have a good audit process, I might have paid out a lot of money in value-based care and ultimately get audit at the plan level. The plan is responsible to CMS, not not the ACO, the DCE, the provider group. So how does that all tie in, in your opinion, with um, all of these audits that, that, are, that are really uh, ramping up in the last couple of years with these value-based care models? Yeah, I think it's a good question. You know, I think 
there's probably two flavors of things. There's, you know, the more population health uh, side of things, and then there's the precision health at the patient level uh-huh. uh, that is about making sure you understand the population at an individual level, just like you do at a more global uh, side of things. And so making sure that uh, appropriate coding uh, techniques and appropriate disease capture and documentation is occurring impacts certainly revenue um, related side of the equation, but also is appropriate uh, understand exactly what's happening at an individual level so that you can preemptively manage and look at uh, chronic disease management underneath these types of arrangements Uh to ensure appropriate uh, cost control and ultimately uh, patient health outcomes. What do you think about social determinants of health programs? I think that that that's also the the big hot button here at RISE. I mean, it really, uh, with COVID, We've seen the haves and the have-nots, and, and there's a lot of money, especially, you know, John Gorman was on the show a couple of days ago. He talked about just regardless of what your political beliefs are, in a Democratic administration, you're going to have more audits, but you're going to have more money being thrown at SDOH programs. And in a Republican administration, you're going to have less audits, but you're probably going to have less money thrown at those programs. Not saying one side is right or wrong, but what do you think about uh, the SDOH platforms that are, that are really prol- proliferating? We've seen, you know, I'm here with U.S. Hunger. Uh, we've seen Farmbox RX. We've seen different companies that are deep into that space. Uh, we see other companies that that are doing broadband internet access, uh, good food, clean water, uh, green space, all of those things. You know, being healthy is a is a holistic 360 degree panorama for for a member. It's not. It's it's difficult if you have a chronic illness. And you're taking your medication for your chronic illness, but if you're not eating right, if you're not sleeping right, if you don't have shelter and all of those things, it's still very difficult to manage those illnesses. What do you think about the SDLs programs that are out there and, and how they're really growing and expanding and becoming a part of the tapestry that, that health plans and, and payers are actually uh, involving it at the bid level or at the OTC level? Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's probably high time uh, for these types of programs to be incorporated and uh, streamlined, getting them folded into the traditional delivery mechanisms has some unique challenges, uh, which is, you know, traditionally we have always been on uh, sort of the HIPAA bent of using standard transactions, uh, typical uh, healthcare EDI transactions, HL7 fire. Uh, We do have some coding standards now around uh, social determinant and health equity types of issues. However, the challenge at the community-based level, social service level, is most of those organizations have not traditionally used a lot of those mechanisms, either for scheduling patients, uh, for uh, for treatments, and or inclusiveness in the programs, and also have not been able to bill in a manner that different organizations like healthcare payers, et cetera, can actually reimburse. And okay. so I think we're gonna see CMS uh, continue to push uh, to find funding mechanisms and more standardization to incorporate these programs. And certainly if you're a risk-bearing entity, uh, you have an interest underneath different risk-bearing contracts to ensure appropriate outcomes and uh, explore avenues of lesser cost. Uh, one of the things that is interesting about the uh, community and social programs is that they're at street level, they're in the neighborhood, they're in the home uh, where people are at, and you can address a lot of things, uh, you know, in that neighborhood uh, sort of a scenario versus, you know, in a institution. Mm. 
No, it makes a lot of sense. Lynn Carroll, COO of HX uh, Blocks, is is chatting with us, talking about value based care and, and talking about. Tell us a little bit about your personal background. How did how did you how did you become a a COO of a of a of a consulting group for healthcare? Were you what did you do before this? So it's it's a it's an interesting story. As a high school student, I was processing pharmacy claims right. manually. <laughs> And got involved in the healthcare ecosystem uh, through that uh, by chance. And then as I was a student at the University of Illinois, I actually worked on putting a budgeting system in, an early uh, managed care budgeting system, which resulted in me uh, ultimately deciding to pursue a career in healthcare. Okay. Uh, I've been traditionally in more of the financial, actuarial, and pricing uh, okay. side of healthcare but have also been involved in electronifying the payment process uh, and have been in card processing as well at, uh, you know, for CDH types of programs. Where, where can we find, if somebody is interested in finding you online or finding your, your consulting firm um, as we kind of wrap up the interview, where, where can we find you? What's, I always ask people, what's your social, not your social security, but your social media, the website, where, where can we find HS Blocks? Yeah, so we're uh, hsblocks.com, Atlanta-based company, right. actually in Alpharetta, just north of Very Atlanta. familiar with Alpharetta. Yep, and uh, we uh, have uh, just started uh, overhauling some of our marketing pieces, and so right. you'll start to see a lot more from us. We typically uh, do a lot of uh, social media-related interviews right. um, and podcasts, nice. and so we're out there in the domain. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Lynn, for, for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Um, we'll be back with uh, Morton Lance Day Radio Network covering Rise Nashville 2020 after these messages. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network.